Chris, thank you so much. And uh, if you are brand new here uh, with us tonight, you've picked probably the best possible time that you could have picked to join us because we're actually launching um, a series that we do every single year. Um, it's one of it's my favourite. It's one of a lot of our um, favourite series of the year, and it is called uh, "Be Rich." Um, now. When we talk about um, this series, um, and as I just get up here, I don't have to uh, tell you that there are a whole lot of problems in the world. No one's surprised or shocked when I'm like, there are some things that are happening in the world that we look at and we're like, they really shouldn't be that way. And the reason that we do this series every single year is because there can kind of be a little bit of a tendency within us, right, to look at all the problems in the world and point at them and say, that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem, that's a problem. And we start getting into this habit of talking about problems so much that we never actually do anything about them. And so uh, with this series, we don't just want to talk about problems. We want to be a solution to problems. But in order to talk about how we can be a solution to problems, uh, we need to start first with a little bit of a problem. You never know what I got back there. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, where you've kind of gone to your pantry um, and you've gone to make your toast in the morning or you're ready to just make a little bit of a sandwich and you... You open up the bread, and the mold started to grow. And you're like, oh, there's like that little bit of vomit in the back of your throat that you're trying to like hold down. And, and really what's happened, right, is we've held onto it. When bread goes moldy, or when any of our food goes moldy, we've held onto it for too long. We haven't used it for what it was supposed to be used. And now when the mold hits, it is no good to anyone, right? And we are going to talk about this very tension through, as we launch this message tonight, but I need to let you know we're going to look at this tension through the lens of Jesus' brother. That's right, Jesus had a brother, some of you might not know this, but he did, um, and Jesus' brother talks about this tension. But I need to let you know, regardless of whether you're Christian, whether you're not, um, James, the brother of Jesus, he has some really challenging things to say to us around this tension, and so I need to let you know from the outset, you need to put your big girl pants on, you need to put your big boy pants on, because what he is about to say is really, really going to challenge us. And in case you get uneasy and you have to leave early, I want to let you know the big idea that James wants us to look at tonight. And it's just simply this. You need to start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. James didn't say it that way, okay? I said it that way. I kind of like wordsmithed it a little bit like Dr. Seuss because I wanted it to stick. Okay, the way James wrote it, I didn't think it would stick as well. And so I want you to know, this is the big idea. If you get nothing, take this. You need to start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. Now, if you know nothing about James, James was a pastor in the, uh, in the first century church and he wrote a letter to a number of churches in this uh, area around uh, the, uh, the city called Jerusalem. And, uh, and that letter has survived antiquity and we have access to it tonight and this is how James begins the part of the conversation we're going to dive in on, talking about this tension. This is what he says. Now listen, you rich people. Some of you are just like, whew, I thought this was like going to be challenging because it was going to be about me, but I'm not rich, so this series doesn't apply to me, right? This, I can just kind of like sidestep it, but this is the time of year where every year, I remind you, you're richer than you think. You've got more resources than you think, even if you don't feel like you're rich. And there's a couple of reasons why, why we don't feel rich. The first reason that for a lot of us we don't feel rich is because we don't live with any margin in our lives. There is no finance, financial margin. You work a part-time job, you have a full-time job, you kind of 
while working that apprenticeship and as soon as the money comes in, it goes straight back out. You know, you're paying your phone bill, you're paying the internet, you're paying the rates for those of you, you're paying a mortgage if you had that, you're going out to hang out with your friends, you're going out to party with your friends, you're going out to eat fast food and the money goes out as quick as it goes in and so you have no margin so you don't feel rich. Another reason that you might not kind of feel rich <coughs> is because you see what everybody else has, right? And Instagram and social media is so great for so many reasons. But one of the, the challenges is it doesn't make us feel rich, right? Because we get to see what everyone else or everywhere around the world has. We see the shoes they wear. We see the clothes they have. We see the cars that they drive. And we think to ourselves, like, how did they afford that at that age? We see the holiday destinations they go to. We see the suburbs they live in. And we just think to ourselves, well, well, I don't have that kind of money. And so we don't feel rich. But the fact, the facts are a little bit different to what we often feel. And, and, and I remind us of this every single um, at point in this Be Rich series. And, and this is the thing I remind us of, that if you have a household income of $33,000, not, not you individually, if you're a part, so if you're a part of a house, if you still live at home with your parents, and collectively your household owns more than $33,000, you are in the 1% club. You are in the 1% of richest people in the world. But no one's like jumping around being like, yes, we did it. We're in the 1% club. Because none of us feel rich. Now, <clears throat> I need to let you know, that any time you start talking about money, if you're new to church or if you've been in church a while even, some of you can kind of think like, oh, here, he's gonna, just going to guilt me and it's just going to be on this trip. If you think I'm um, making you feel guilty, I want to let you know that's not the direction we're heading. Okay, so you can come back. I want to let you know I'm telling you this and I'm letting you become aware of this stuff because I want you to feel responsible. I want you to feel the weight of responsibility that should be given to people in the 1% of richest people in the world. Now, back to what James was saying. James, the reason that James writes and he kind of um, labels his letter to rich people is because in that culture 2,000 years ago, there was this assumption that the more stuff you had, the more riches you had, the more that God loved you. And when Jesus stepped into history, in fact, if you read like um, any of Jesus' life or the New Testament documents, what you'll discover is Jesus crashes and brings this false assumption to its knees. And Jesus kind of redefines it and Jesus says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. Okay, rich people aren't more loved by God. Rich people are more responsible. And it's into this culture that James saw his brother teach that James leans right in and he says, now listen, you rich people. And then he goes on. He says, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Told you, you had to put your, your big girl and boy pants on tonight. And the reason he writes this is because rich people, you, you would think, right, that the more money you had and the more stuff that you accumulated, the less you would worry. But some of you know that you kind of, went from like a part-time job to a better part, uh, paying part-time job and then you went from a part-time job to a full-time job and you were working that full-time job for a while and then you kind of moved up to a little bit more of a job and every single time you got more money and more money and more money and more money but it just didn't feel like enough. And what did you do when you got a pay rise? 
you got an upgrade on your phone or you added another Netflix account or you decided we'll get Netflix instead or I'm going to move out now. And every single time you got more stuff, you bought more, and then what happened? You started to worry more. And what James is saying here is that people that have more stuff and people that have more riches have this tendency where their hope shifts. And it's very, very subtle, but it happens over time, and their hope shifts from God to their riches, from God to their stuff. And when you have that shift, you can never be hopeful because you just need to have more stuff and more stuff and more stuff, and there is no amount of stuff that you can get to fill the void of that hope. And James kind of goes on, he says, your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags, your gold and silver are corroded. These were people who were so rich, they had so much stuff that the, the, uh, the moths and, the, and animals were starting to eat their clothes. They didn't have coins, they, they weren't made out of the same kind of materials that we would use today, and so they kind of cut it and mixed it with gold and silver. And their gold and silver coins, they had so much stuff, it started to corrode, and it started to rust, and it started to wear, um, wear away. They had so much stuff. And what James is kind of leaning in and trying to get them to understand is that when you hoard all this stuff, it gets to a point that now it's no good for anything to anybody. It's literally wasting away. And James, just so we're clear, James' big pushback to these rich Christians is not how much they earn, not how much comes in, James's concern is how much stacks up. You have so much coming in that it stacks up so high that you're not even using it. And it's going to waste. And then he goes on. He says this, he says, this corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Ooh, that's uncomfortable, right? Like this is the fire brimstone part. No, I'm just kidding. And some of you, right, you hear that. <clears throat> and the reason that James writes that is because what he wants these followers of Jesus to feel is responsible. James says, hey, if you believe that there is a God, then one day, ultimately, you will be responsible to God for how you handled the stuff that you uh, were given in this life. Now, I know that there are some of you in the room, you're kind of new to church, or maybe this is not really your jam, but you just kind of love hanging, coming and hanging out with us. First of all, we want to let you know, we're so glad you're here. You should just keep coming back and hanging out with us. But James is not trying to use scare tactics here. Okay? James is, is not trying to kind of beat these Christians over the head and say, if you don't do this, there will be fire and brimstone. That's not what James is saying at all. The reason, in fact, that James writes this is because James saw his brother hang on a cross and die before his eyes. And then he saw them take his body, his lifeless body down off that cross and put it in a tomb. And then three days later, James had a conversation with Jesus. And his brother overcame death. And James decided, well, if Jesus can overcome death, then there's got to be more to this life. There's got to be something greater. And at about the midway point of his life, James, who wanted nothing to do with his brother, 
<coughs> up until that point in his life, made the decision that his brother was his saviour. And so the reason that James writes this way is because he says, we have a responsibility. If there is something beyond this life, and James not saying this because some person with a microphone stood up to their face said something bad would happen. James is saying this because of something he experienced and a conversation that he had. Then it goes on. He says, you have hoarded wealth in these last days. Really what James is kind of driving out here is this question. He's asking, why hoard when your time is short? See, if we're really, really honest, right, most of us, most of us are going to run out of time before we run out of stuff. Most of us are going to run out of time before we run out of ways to use or get rid of or, or just uh, hang out with all of our stuff. We always have stuff. In fact, the reason that you, have, that you know you have too much stuff is because you've got that drawer in your house, right? And we've all got... See, straight away, all of you are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just the drawer that you have where you don't know, like, what to put in it when you're cleaning out and you're kind of like, oh, this doesn't really go anywhere. And you just throw it in a drawer and it's just full of stuff. And you just kind of close the door and hope that no one opens it because if they would, it'd just explode everywhere. And you don't even know what to do with it, but you're just holding on to it for, for what reason? And here's, here's the real challenge for us. And if you've, if you've ever had to go through the difficult process of saying goodbye to someone, someone who's, who's passed away, or if you've ever had to walk alongside a friend who's done that, what often happens is they go into the house of the person and they see all their stuff. And you know what they do? You box it up and you move it and you get rid of it, and you might hold on to a few sentimental heirlooms, but for the majority of it, you get rid of it. And for so many of us in this room, we genuinely want to make a difference in the world. We genuinely want to be a people, and, and, a, and a generation, a millennial generation that makes a difference in the world. And the reason that James says, hey, this could testify against you, is because one day, you and I won't be here anymore. And one day, someone's going to have to deal with all the stuff that we've left behind. And when they begin to deal with all that stuff, what will happen is what we do now will determine the story they tell and the example that they experience. The way that we live our life now will determine when they come to deal with all our stuff, the story that they tell other people. Will, they, will the story they tell be like, hey, they spoke about generosity, they spoke about giving all their stuff away, and they spoke about how we should love others. And then I went to their house. I don't even know why. They've got half this stuff in here. And that's what James is saying. The example that people see often after we've transitioned challenges us and ex uh, informs their experience. Really where this lands for us, particularly if we're followers of Jesus, but even if we're not, is that Resource people shouldn't look for loopholes to give wealth. Resource people should look for opportunities to give more. N now, I get, right, that some of you are kind of sitting there and you're smart, right, because everyone in this room is, is smart. And you're kind of like, I know where this is going. 
Right? He's going to get us all emotional and he's kind of going to get us all worked up and then he's going to ask us to give money. And then he's going to ask us to like make a difference and, and move all that stuff. And, and some of you, right, some of you are thinking to yourself, you're kind of like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm, and you're kind of like tensing up and you're kind of having an argument with me in your head about why you can't do that. And maybe you said something like this. I don't know anybody, anything. Because all I have is mine. It's my stuff. It's in my name. I own it. I don't owe anybody anything. I earned it all. That is 100% true if you don't believe in God. If you do not believe in God, I, don't give. I'll be the first one to tell you. If you don't think there's anything more to this life, don't give. Keep it all. Because you don't owe anybody anything. But if you believe, if you believe like James did, that there's something more to this life, then ultimately, you have to believe that you're responsible to God for the way in which you manage and the way in which you deal with the stuff that you have now. And in fact, Jesus, when Jesus talks about this sort of stuff, Jesus kind of uses this word managers. And Jesus says, hey, ultimately, all of us who are followers of Jesus are managers of stuff. And the reason we're managers is because managers are ultimately responsible to someone for how they manage what they've been entrusted with. And I know that maybe some of you are kind of pushing back still, but I want to ask you this question if you still are, because you're like, no, I want to believe in God, but I don't want to have to give the responsibility of kind of giving it any away. How much of your stuff can you take with you? When you die, when you move on, you know the answer to that. Nothing. But if it was yours, if you owned it, if your name was on it, you could take it with you. So what does that show? You're not actually an owner. In fact, someday, some of the things that you hope to own and you kind of have dreams of owning because they'll be a status symbol, someday after you die, someone else will own it and it will be there. And if you can't take it with you, ultimately, it's not yours. And so, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about ways in which we can be rich to our community. But what James kind of wants us to understand before we get to that is that the only response that we should have is if, uh, as followers of Jesus if we can't take anything with us, the only response is really to be extravagantly generous. Is to say, you know what, I can't take it with me anyway, but, so I want to get rid of as much of my stuff as I possibly can throughout my life. Could you imagine, like it's just kind of a thought experiment, I don't know how we, anyone would actually do it, but could you imagine that the moment you died was the moment you gave away the last possession that you owned and you moved into the next life like taking nothing with you? I don't know how we do that, but that would be really cool. But James is kind of saying like, in the meantime... We should just be extravagantly generous. And it's in this extravagant generosity that if as Christians we believe that God gave his life for us, that God showed the ultimate act of extravagant generosity by dying on a cross to repair a relationship with uh, humanity and God, then we have no other option. And really it should be our first port of call to be extravagantly generous. And in doing this, what we demonstrate to the rest of the world is simply this, that everyone matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. When we are generous, 
no-strings-attached generosity. We say, hey, regardless of what you believe, regardless of what you think about God or what you think about the church or what you think about Christians, we want you to know that you matter to God. So, here's what we're going to do for tonight, and here's the challenge. We kind of always package our challenges in a full Monday because we want to show you where the rubber hits the road. We want to be really clear. Hey, this is how you apply everything we talked about. So here's how we're going to apply what we talked about this week. I want you to practice letting go of what you're holding. I want you to practice letting go of it. And and here's what I, I don't want you to kind of commit to being generous. I know for some of you that's like a big step. I just want you to practice. One time, practice letting go of what you're holding onto. Last year, last year as a community, we practiced letting go of what we were holding onto. Um, and we were ma- able to raise $2,743.20. This year, as we practice letting go, we've got a goal of $3,500. And to make that really, really simple, here's what we're challenging every single person. Not every couple, not every family. We're challenging every single individual to give $30. Now, some of you, right, you spent this much on, like, coffee this week. Some of you, you spent like this much on dinner last night. And so for you, you kind of look at that and you're like, $30, that's easy. If you can give more, if you can be more generous, be more generous. This is just a number to get the conversation going. This is just a number for you to begin to have that conversation in your family, around the dinner table, with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend or with your brother or with your sister, about, hey, if we were to really be generous, How much would we give? What would that look like for us to be extravagantly generous? And here's here's the other goal that we secretly, it's not so secret because I'm going to tell you what it is, that we want as much as a dollar figure. Because a dollar figure is cool, right? You can kind of like, hey, we did 3,500. Here's what we really want though. We want 100% participation. Whether you're a Jesus follower, whether you're not, we want you to partner with us as we make a difference in the world. And so we want 100% participation. And here's our guarantee to you, that we're asking 100% of you to give and we're going to give 100% of it away. And here's the best news. Even if, not one, even if 100% of you don't give, we're still going to give it all away. We're not going to hold on to it. No matter how much we get, every single cent that comes in, we are giving it away. 100% of it goes out. And some of you are maybe kind of like asking like, well, where's it go? Who are you giving it to? And we made a decision when we launched Beyond nearly four and a half years ago. We made a decision that as a community, we were not going to set up counselling services. We were not going to set up soup kitchens. And the reason wasn't because we didn't think those things were important. The reason was because there are other local organisations who were already killing it at that stuff. And so we wanted to be their biggest champions. We wanted to be their biggest supporters. We wanted them to know that we valued what they were doing and the difference that they were making in the community. And so we wanted to be able to support them in whatever way we could. And so this year, we've picked three organizations. Last year we had two, we're up in the game to three this year. One's global, we're going global for the very first time ever. And then we've got some two other organizations that we're giving to the first one, it's global, it's called Open Doors. Okay, Open Doors is, a, is an organization that works in the top five 
50 most dangerous countries in the world, um, providing uh, relief and first aid and safe houses to people. Um, particularly Open Doors focuses and helps um, if people come to faith and get to know Jesus in dangerous countries where it's actually illegal, where you actually get murdered for belief in Jesus. They provide safe houses uh, for people um, who follow Jesus in those countries. And last year alone, Open Doors provided 270,000 safe houses for people who were in danger, who needed relief or needed first aid because of the, uh, what was going on in their country. A little closer to home, we, uh, we want to um, support Bush Kids this year. So Bush Kids is an organization that supports children and teenagers in remote, regional and uh, rural communities who don't have access to health care or education. And Bush Care believes that regardless of where you live geographically, that you should be able to be the best person that you can be. And so Bush Kids supports people, and uh, particularly children and teenagers, who might not have access to the same health care and the same education opportunities that people have in urban um, centres. And then really, really local, we're going to support Sandbag. And Sandbag is an organisation that's based out of uh, Sandgate, and, uh, and Sandbag have a particular wing and a particular division of their um, organisation that works particularly with children who are um, part of a family that's experienced domestic abuse or domestic um, violence in some way, and they provide um, care and counselling to children and teenagers who are in domestic violence or domestic abuse situations. And here's, here's my favourite part of this, right? These organisations didn't come to us. No one from these organisations is part of our community. No one came up to us and was like, hey, I kind of work here and we need a little bit of extra money, can you help us out? That's not the case. We just did our research and we just decided, and we do this every single year where we just raise a whole heap of money and then at the end of it, we call them and we say, hey, we just were practising being rich and we were just practising letting go of what we're holding on to and we just love for you to have some of that. And they always say, like, why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do as Jesus followers if we believe we're ultimately responsible. And here are the details. There are some on cards, I get that. There are some cards on your seat. Um, and I know some of you, uh, it'll go up on our Instagram as well if you want to screenshot it. But we're just kind of challenging you. Whatever donation you want to make, make sure there's a BSB, the account number. Put the description, be rich in there. So we know, and we'll update you as the weeks go on of, of how much we're raising and how much of a difference that we're making. The very last thing before we throw back to the band. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, here's what I just want you to imagine. Could you imagine a world where Christians, their first instinct wasn't to ask, what would it cost? But to just see the need and respond. Could you imagine a world where people who were skeptical or people who were unsure of Christianity we're just blown away by this whole idea of be rich. And they said, you know what? I don't buy that, but I want to be generous with you. I want to make a difference with you. Could you imagine a world where people looked in on this sort of stuff and said, you know what? I just want to be around Jesus followers because of the way they treat other people. But the reality is, and the truth is, we don't have to imagine because the power is in your hands. The power is in our hands to make a difference. And we can begin tonight. So, on your marks, get set, let's be rich.